Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I am Aaron Schweitzer, your host, along with co-hostess Laurel Bronze. This podcast is powered by The Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper. We are sponsored again by our friends at Worthy Brewing, putting education first, utilizing green technologies and experimenting daily to brew the best damn beer in the Pacific Northwest while treading as lightly on the earth as possible. Living out their mantra... Earth first, beer second. Yeah. Uh, Our guest today is Judy Stiegler, attorney, instructor of political science at OSU Cascades. She has a law degree from Lewis and Clark College, works as an instructor at Central Oregon Community College and OSU Cascades. She served in the Oregon State Legislature for House District 54 from 2009 to 2011. This is the district that covers the city of Bend and was recently won by Jason Croft in this past election. She specialized in family and juvenile law throughout her career. She is married to Mike Dugan, who served as Deschutes County District Attorney for 24 years. Judy, thank you for joining us. Happy to do so, and I'm just glad I managed to hook on. <laughs> we were commenting before that now you're, you're teaching your classes up at OSU, and uh, you're doing it in Zoom, so you're an expert in this uh, arena now. I don't know that I'd go that far, but <laughs> I'm at least familiar with it. How's that? <laughs> so you have an interesting background you've talked about in the past, growing up in a trailer, eventually graduating from law school. Um, tell us about your childhood and how those experiences kind of led to your life in politics. Well, um, first of all, yeah, I mean, we were, my father uh, died when I was four and um, my mom remarried a few years later, but my uh, my father was a baker and we you know we moved around a lot he was very transient and when we got to reno uh the reno sparks area my mom finally said nope i'm not i'm not moving anymore but we lived in apartments and the first own home that she owned was actually an eight by 35 foot trailer and we spent i spent about 12 years of my life living in trailers we moved up in size but, you know, it was a very different, um, you know, living in a trailer court. I, I had good friends and all of that. But it was really interesting because a little as I got a little older, I realized that people, they go, oh, you live in a trailer. And it was sort of this, like, yeah. <laughs> and um, I thought everybody lived in a trailer kind of. Exactly. You know, it was. Uh, it was interesting. I mean, I got referred to as trailer court trash a few times. And that was like, I, I remember going home to my mom when I was about eight or nine years old and saying, somebody at school called me trailer court trash today. What does that mean? And wow. My mom was like, you know, she was, she tried very hard to just sort of keep us focused and yeah, don't worry about it. It's just somebody being silly and et cetera. So she, you know, she didn't dwell on those kind of things. Um, but she was a hard worker. We, I had, uh, there were four siblings from my mom's first marriage. And then she, when she married my stepfather, they had one more child. So there were five, but um, we lived in trailers up until I was 16. And then that, that summer that I turned 16, um, my, my stepdad and my mom decided they wanted to leave the area and move. And we ended up in Grants Pass, Oregon of all places. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the first stick home that I lived in was in Grants Pass and they bought a little house just outside of town and um, I got involved in at Grants Pass High School. I was a junior when when I got there but it was I just dug in and I 
I got involved in a variety of different, you know, um, I guess you would say politics within the realms of the school. I didn't run for student council or anything like that, but I got involved in, in clubs and organizations. And um, I actually, my first experience at the legislature was uh, I, I was chosen to go uh, to participate in girls state back then they had girls state and boys state and it was uh, you went off and did these, you know, sort of uh, model model uh, uh, legislative sessions, and I got to go up to Salem we stayed at the YMCA there they, they had sort of like a, a apartment spaces for us and we stayed there and uh, spent a week or four or five days up there and I was in the House of Representatives. <laughs> I got elected. So that was, it, it must have been a pretty small community back then. I mean, what, when you Grant Pass? yeah, mm. yeah, it really was. And, and the interesting part of it, and I was always, my, my stepfather was very political from the standpoint we'd watch, you know, we'd watch the debates and things like that on TV. And um, I, I, I just really got hooked into it. And particularly in school, I had some instructors who were, you know, they were very, um, I guess you would say very vibrant in their political beliefs and not hesitant to talk about it. But yeah, Grants Pass was very, was quite small then. And it was really interesting because that's when some of the, um, the communes were, were sprouting up out in, in the rural areas of Josephine County. So you had, you had the, the loggers, <laughs> timber guys, <laughs> And he had the he had the hippies in the communes, and it was real interesting. <laughs> it was Judy. Um, you and your husband have lived in Bend for forty two years, and you've both been in and out of the political scene. What are some of the most significant changes you've seen here during that period? Um, well, you know the the thing that's sort of striking about about Bend is that. There's, it, it's, it's sort of ebbed and flowed different. I mean, it's not, it's not been monolithic any of the time that we, we've lived here. Um, you know, the, the city politics, it, it's always seemed to be more focused on, on the who, the what, the, you know, let's, let's get some things done. Um, then you, you know, you elevate up the ladder and, and you get into the county and you get into the state. But, you know, my husband and I were talking about this the other night and there have been times when it seemed like, you know, it was more conservative at times that it was more moderate times that it was a little bit more, um, I guess in those days you called it liberal, but um, I would say that the, that the stance, the political stance that the, the central Oregon, particularly the Bend community and around us that took was a, a much more moderate, no matter whether it was Republicans or Democrats who were like in the county commission or anything like that. Um, and, you know, even at the even at the state level, like in the legislative level, there were there were Democrats. Now, um, granted, I was the first Democrat that was elected to a legislative seat. I would think it was in 23 years. The previous, the last person before me who had actually been elected as a Democrat was Tom Troop. Now, right. Ben Westland, when he was in um, the legislature, he was in the House and then the Senate. In 2000 and 2006, he switched. He, he went in as a Republican. He'd been a Republican, went in as a Republican, and then became an independent for mm, close to a year. And then at the end of 2006, I think it was, if I remember correctly, he switched party affiliation and became a Democrat. And then two years later ran for, when I was running my second time for the house, he ran 
um, for state treasurer and was elected as a Democrat. So, you know, I was the first Democrat in 23 years to actually run and win a, a seat as a Democrat, but there had been Democrats and in the county commission, um, there were there were Democrats. And so it, it was sort of, I, I think the plat, I would say probably the, the platform for politics here was pretty moderate. Um, yeah, but, I, but Judy, wouldn't you say that you were pretty much uh, blue or Democrat before it was cool? I mean, while Ben, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> while it's been somewhat moderate, it's been moderately red. I mean, there have been yeah. certain yeah. seats, like certain instances like yourself and and Ben, got, you know, was conservative. He switched over, if I remember, for um, it was over um, health care. Oh, yeah, um, that was a big was issue. A bi- for it was him. it yep. was his big issue, and so he pulled over, and and that gave us a little bit blue. But but we're going back to Tom Troop, and even then, yeah. I think by the standards today, he would be considered extremely moderate. Um, um, so. Yeah, I think I think probably so. Yeah, I mean, in, in you know. Yeah, go and ahead. wasn't your husband? Your husband was probably the most prominent Democrat. Um, in well, his yeah, I, I, that's true. I mean, in 1996, he actually ran as a Democrat for the second congressional district seat, and it was an interesting year because um, a couple of years before that, Bob Smith, who had been in, you know, it, what, what I tell my students is the second congressional district was actually held for many, many years by a very prominent Democrat, Al Ullman who was mm-hmm. chair of the Ways and Means Committee. But then the lines got drawn in redistricting, which is an important thing back in 1980. And um, part of the, I guess you would say, part of the pool of people that had elected him, um, you know, sort of got drawn out of that. And he, he, got, he got defeated. And since mm-hmm. that time, it, had, it has been a Republican seat the second CD, but Mike ran in, yeah, in 1996 when um, Bob Smith had retired two years before that and the infamous Wes Cooley. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Judy, you're going to have to write a book because you're talking to me about this stuff. I'm realizing like from our listeners, they- uh, I know, it doesn't make any- It doesn't have seven years. It's like, and for a lot of people, they're coming yeah. in and thinking how progressive Bend is now and, you know, yep. we just run the table on the city well, council. It, it, yeah, I mean, and that's, I mean, like when I said that it's, you know, it has been that it's sort of been that moderate red, blue and an occasional blue person in there over the last 30, 40 years. But right. um, yeah, and, and uh, you know, when Mike ran as a, he actually at one point led in the polls and it looked like he was going to, but then they managed to move Wes out of the, you know, out of the seat and get Bob and Bob Smith ran again and that was it. But yeah. Um, yeah, it, Mike had, you know, Mike had to run for DA. That's a nonpartisan seat. Um, and it wasn't actually, it wasn't until he ran for the uh, congressional seat that a lot of people, they said, I didn't know you were a Democrat. <laughs> but, you know, we had been active in the arena, definitely. Sure. And when you were elected in 2008, it was the same year that Obama was elected and it was the height of the bust right. and recession. And, and that was also when the Tea Party came in. Can, can you talk a little bit about what the climate was like during that time when you were in the legislature? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, as I say, I came in with a wave and went out with a wave. <laughs> I came in with the blue wave and out with the red wave. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing is I had actually, the seat was an open seat in 2000, in the election in 2004. And that's when I ran for it the first time. And numbers were 
were pretty close. There was still a disparity of a few thousand Democrats, Republicans. But uh, that's when Chuck Burley and I ran against each other in 2004. And like I tell people, um, you know, you, you, you got you to gotta vote because every vote does count. I lost that election to him by 548 votes. That was wow. it. And um, what that showed me was that there was potential for a Democrat to win the seat. And, right. you know, that, that did show me that there was, there was an engagement within the community in that regard. Um, but when I was in the legislature, we went in, we had a super majority, the Democrats did that year, and so did the Republicans, though they had lost a seat because actually Ben had been, Ben Wesson had been the state senator, he didn't run again, and, and Chris Telfer, who ran as a Republican at that time, she won the seat, so, but they still had a super majority, so, you know, there was a, there was, there was d discussions across the aisle, and there were conversations, but people knew within the Democratic caucus that, you know, it was there, we had a strong, we were, we were able to do things that, you know, we probably wouldn't have been able to do um, if it wasn't for that fact. But as, as time went on through the, um, through the session, it became, it was starting to become apparent out in the communities that there was um, this growing, like you say, the Tea Party movement, this growing anti- anti-Obama, anti-anybody associated with him, i.e. anti-Democrat um, kind of, right. yeah, kind of, um, I guess you would say, feeling out there in the community. And, you know, that, uh, that made a big difference. I'm, I'm convinced that, uh, I mean, I, I made some votes that I knew were going to be difficult votes, like on taxes, um, mm -hmm. but they were referrals to the people. And, you know, we're, we're very robust this state is a very robust uh, uh, direct dem democracy in that we send a lot of things to our um, to our voters to make decisions on a lot of things that are very Im impactful in our day to day lives. And, you know, that's what I agreed to do. But boy, I mean, they started hammering at me midway through the session in 2009 and it continued and it, it wasn't it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty at all. Um, yeah. So you have a lot of experience running campaigns. Um, you ran for House District 54 three times. Um, yeah. and, and the only Democrat to hold the seat in that form anyway, since um, Jason Croft just won it earlier this month. So what are some of your observations of the current race between incumbent Republican Cherry Health and Deputy District Attorney um, Jason Croft? Well, you know, I, I would I would be naive if I if I said that um, you know negative campaigning isn't part of the part of the uh, landscape. It is, and I I was I was guilty of of negative ads and and some negative campaigning as well. I mean, you know, one of the things you you, you do or the people, the consultants tell you is you have to build up your image, but you also have to try to tell the tell the public why they shouldn't vote for the other person. So that's where the quote unquote negative stuff comes in, but there's a limitation. And I think the best way for me to describe, I was very disappointed in how, I guess you would say how down in the dirt that campaign got. And, and I, I think it, it just, I think it went way beyond. And um, yeah, it, it's not, it's not, it's pretty, 
it's pretty standard form, pretty pro forma to have some aspect of negative campaigning within campaigns. That's just sort of the lay of the land. But this one went beyond that. And it was disappointing. And, and Judy, one of the one of the observations that I made during this race, I mean, we talked about a little bit uh, in your class was how yeah. much money is now coming into these races. I mean, it's since you ran, it's more than doubled. And it, it felt to me more when I looked at that race this year that there were mo- there was more outside communication, marketing, messaging coming into this race than we had seen in the past. This was in a way, well, it, they got down in the dirt. It was a, much more sophisticated in, in, in the ways that the t- attacks were trying to reach certain groups of voters. Did you f- experience much more, Yeah, it was, it was a lot more targeted in that regard. Um, and I, I think we've been seeing, I, I think there were a couple of things that happened. Number one, this is, you know, it, it's gone from a swing seat, a swing district, District 54, to a pretty solidly blue Democrat seat. Sure. And, you know, the phenomenon that happened back two years ago was really an oddity. I mean, it, you know, the, the Democratic side of it just sort of imploded and fell apart. And that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, that's that's a whole nother one. I won't get into that. But needless to say, what you had situation where you had a a Republican in a seat and they wanted to keep that Republican. They wanted to keep her here. They wanted to keep this seat because they, you know, they saw the numbers, you know what the numbers are. And, and so that was part of the motivation. And then the other side, of course, was that, you know, on the democratic side, they had a a good solid robust candidate and they were going to take this puppy back. Um, You know, they hadn't had it for 10 years and they wanted it back and they wanted to keep it. That being said, I mean, the money has been growing, quite frankly, over time, um, and particularly in races like this that are sort of targeted races. And um, my race in 2004 and 2008, they were at that time some of the most expensive house races that this state had ever seen, more expensive than some of the ones over in the over in the valley. And it was it was crazy. I mean, I think I spent in 2004 something like $300,000, which was obscene for a house race. Now, of course, right. this they were spending in the millions. But um, and I think what you've got too, because things are becoming so polarized, not only you know at the national level, but that's sinking down to the state and the local levels. And so you're seeing you're seeing people that and organizations that really you know, that have investments or that that have, they have a, a point and a purpose behind getting certain people elected. And so they're willing to throw that money in there. And I think what you're seeing is, yeah, that that pool of, of, of money is just opening up huge. And, um, you know, my guess is we're just beginning to see, you know, how far this goes. It's no longer yeah. just calling up your local people and saying, can you give me 50 bucks? It's gone way beyond that. And so one of the things, I was just having a discussion with somebody after our editorial this week where we, you know, in our editorial, we talked about trying to push us out of this emergency um, environment in terms of governance back more towards a legisla- legislative solutions for the long term. Right. And the comeback to me, what I thought was interesting, the person was saying that the legislature has become so dysfunctional, there's so much deadlock, 
the Republicans could walk out. We could have stuff that um, perhaps it was better to stay in a place where we had a smaller um, authority in a smaller uh, area like the governorship. How do you feel about, you know, people who say the legislature's deadlocked, it's not functioning as a body, is this new? It seems to me like it, this is just sta status quo. Well, I, you know, I, I can say very honestly that there are aspects of that when I was in the legislature, absolutely. But there were also, sure. there was, um, you know, there was a robust belief on the part of many of the legislators, and I'd like to think, I'd hope to think that it exists still, that their job is to get something done and their job is to be there for the people. I, I've been very disappointed the last, you know, the 2019 and 20 sessions were, um, it, it was, it was, it was a very sad commentary on where we've gotten to in our political landscape here in this country. I mean, it's filtered down to the state and local level robustly. And that's, that's very sad. I would like to believe that there are people that are being elected now who understand and see that we can't continue like that. Um, I'm hopeful, but I'm not convinced that's going to happen. I think it's going to take how do I say this? It's going to take another movement, so to speak, to shake everybody out of that. I mean, when I was in the legislature, I worked with people across the aisle all the time. I mean, I tell people there were bills I worked on with like Cliff Bentz, who just got elected to replace um, Greg Walden. Um, I mean, I had conversations with all sorts yes. of people across the aisle. And, you know, it, it, the focus, I mean, you, you sort of have to balance it between, okay, here's my you know, here, here's, here's one I want to see get done and okay, I'm going to pose anything and everything. Um, so, right. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a tricky path to walk down. Um, I would like to believe that there's a good core of the people that have been elected on both sides of the aisle that say, Hey, we've got work to do and we need to get to it. Um, well, I thought that I, you know, in light of the last session, I thought that those the Republican walkouts was a good example of um, it was a good example of, of, of the election cycle working because it was such a negative talking point for those candidates. The inability of the Republicans to vote for something that the majority of the representatives favored and to not vote on it by walking really came up over and over again in the discussions about candidates. Did you walk? What did you do to stop the walk? Should you get endorsed if you walked or didn't walk? It was, I, I don't know what I thought, what, what should happen? I thought it was appropriate. Oh, I, I think it was very appropriate that that, that, that became a focal point in, in, in the subsequent election. Um, you know, there's no way on God's green earth. I like, I, hope I <laughs> that if the tables had been reversed that I would have participated in such an action. And I, I, I hope I would have had the, the gall and the, you know, the, the strength to speak up against it. Um, you know, it, yeah, I understand that sometimes, and I, you know, there were discussions we, when I was in the legislature that we had in our caucus that, you know, let's, let's not hammer people over the head with the fact that, yeah, we've got the votes. Let's, let's, let's look at what we can actually accomplish without just being able to say, ha, 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 I got this all done no matter what. Sure. So there needs to be that balance in there too. But reacting this way, it's, it, you know, it was sort of like, it was like being a, 
throwing a tantrum by a, you know, a five-year-old and, and it, it's not productive. And I think actually it probably hurt a lot of those folks. Um, well, what it, what it, what it's done just in practical conversation is say, and it has real effects in the discussion about these, these emergency declarations where people right. are coming back to me and saying, why would you want the legislature to work on something so important? They can't. Well, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, and I understand that sentiment, but I do believe that they can. <laughs> if, if, yeah, I do too. You know, I, I just, you know, I have to have that, that element of faith in there. Otherwise, we just throw our hands up and walk away and say, well, to hell with the government and to, to hell with our, our political process and to hell with everything else. You know, let's just whatever. And, you know, we can't exist like that. <laughs> no, I hope not. I hope no. that's not where we're going. No, we can't. I can assure you. <laughs> There's some aspects right now at the national level that leave me with my teeth, you know, grinding. But um, yeah. So well, I, I, mean, I hope that enough people, there are enough, there's a, there's a core of people in the legislature on both sides that say, okay, what were, we were elected to come here and do some work and let's get yeah. it done. I still believe in the body. I, I'm, I'm with you. I'd rather not have uh, government by fiat or anarchy. I'm, either one of them sounds bad to me. Either way. <laughs> either way. <We're, laughs> Laurel's having a good time there, I can tell. <laughs> no, I mean, and again, I may be a little bit naive, but, you know, been around for a while. Um, as I tell my, my uh, students, I, I turned 18 the year 18-year-olds first got to vote. So, um, you know, it's, it's there, it's in my blood, and I believe truly in our process and in our system. And, um, you know, it is, as many bumps in the road as we have, and as many, you know, sidetracks and all of the other metaphors you can come up with, it's still, I believe, it's still as probably the best system around the world in with the prospect of getting things done and getting things done for the people. Were you surprised about the results of the local council races, the huge blue wave that swept through there? I, I was a bit surprised. I was, I, I think what, I mean, there are a couple things there. I think that, um, you know, the, the very active progressive community in, in band is, um, I think they saw that if they sort of engaged a broader scope of, of voters, they could, you know, they could get the job done, i.e. they could win those seats. Um, and I think they worked hard. They had, um, a, you know, they had a whole network of people out there, even though you couldn't go door to door this time, they had all sorts of ways to, you know, to, to get the word or the message out. I think there was a lot on, on, the folks that lost, I think there was a lot of taking some of that, you know, some things for granted that there was still that solid core support there. And, uh, you know, we don't need to worry about it. But I think what this showed is, hello, wake up and smell the coffee grounds. You know, you do, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you do, you do the hard work, you do, you get, you know, you, you be consistent in your message. And you get your voters engaged and you get them out there, you're going to come up with, with the win. I mean, just like in that House race, it just felt to me locally like, you know, the Democrats had a sophisticated pack for the first time. Yeah. You know, they've, they've yeah. kind of watched and sat on the sidelines 
um, before as chamber packs and, and the real estate packs and those guys would handpick candidates and really Absolutely. fund them. Yep. And, and it, it just seemed like, you know, um, Democrats never had that mechanism and, and they have that now. And it's a sign of, I think, how Bend is evolving as a, as a political market. Yeah, and I, and I think you're absolutely right, Aaron. In that regard, I think I think that there is is it's a more coordinated effort, and um, I think there's there's a realization that it it it's not just at the state and national level where where they where you know we we can have an impact and we can have success that where it counts to a large degree is what we're doing down here on the ground, and and we can get these. Um, you know, we can th- get things turning our direction. And I think they've done a, yeah, an admirable job of coalescing and coordinating. Do you, um, I mean, there's always been that uh, perception and actually it's probably not perception, it's probably real that the Valley d- pays little regard to the side of the mountain in terms of, of politicking and, and putting efforts into grooming. Do you think that's going to change now? Because it looks like they've got a little blue base here. Um, I, think, and- I think you're going to see, yeah, I think you're going to see more more interest in, um, I, I, I think it's been coming. It's been coming for a while, quite frankly. I mean, when I ran, um, I had significant support from the, both from the state party as well as, as various um, people around the state. Um, because they saw that possibility, quite frankly, they saw, well, you know, this could happen. We can, we could maybe get a seat over there in um, Central Oregon. And so, um, I think, I think as 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 you know, areas of the state sort of bump up in their in their participatory aspects of of politics, I think you're going to start seeing you know, people from that side of the mountain, the valley, <laughs> pay more attention to what's happening and going on over here. Because yeah. for people running for statewide office, they can't ignore us. They can't leave us alone. Yeah, I can imagine before it seems like when, like for your period where it was more dabbling, it was more, yeah. hey, we might be able to get that seat. Should we put some money into that race? Yeah, let's put some money. It feels like now, given what they're going to see in terms of returns and the number of Democratic voters, that if those Democrats can bring some money back from the state house, that this may be some place where they look to expand. I mean, there's um, Bence's seat, which you know I think McLeod came very close, you know, or made a really good showing in in making some yeah, efforts yeah. against Walden. I, I can see them starting to make serious investments over here and trying to win over voters. Yeah, and you know, one of one of the big issues is going to have to be is that they've got to listen. Folks have got to listen because right. the issues that that are you know, and, and the, the thing about it is everybody assumes that everything east of the mountains is monolithic, is is all the same. Well, no, issues are different. Different parts. I mean, hello, wake up and <laughs> right, right. again. Those coffee grounds. You know, we've got to be <laughs> we've got to be in attuned to the fact that, you know, just because if you live in Medford, things are, you're going to have different issues than if you're living over in Ontario or if you're up in Pendleton, you know, so there are, and and I think, you know, I think what needs to happen is the folks over there need to start paying more attention to that as well. Yeah. So can't just leave it, you know, they assume they know all of the different issues. I mean, that's one of the things when you're, when you're 
um, you know, in a in an area like this, and you happen to be serving in the legislature or in a body like that, you want to make sure that they understand what what's going on and what's happening, and and hey, how this is how this particular decision might impact, you know, somebody over here. I mean, I'll give you just a quick example. One of the things that came up big in 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 2009 is they wanted a craft beer tax. They wanted to. Oh, I remember. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, are you nuts? Do you know what that would do to Central Oregon? You got me. Hello. And smell the coffee grounds, Judy. Again, or the yeah. hops. Smell, smell the, the hops. hops this time. This That's time. Right. I say, this time it's the hops. Right. <laughs> anyway, you know, and that's 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 we got to make folks. I think they're now, I, I think they're more willing to pay attention, I guess is the best way to put it. Right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we ever got totally written off. I mean, you know, votes are important everywhere, but there was sort of this, you know, consistent, oh yeah. Okay. Got it. But you know, not really being serious about things. Judy, we are at the end of our time. Is there anything you'd like to speak to that, that we didn't cover or anything you want to say to listeners? Well, I, you know, I, I just hope, again, I hope, I hope the public out there, listeners, don't give up. Um, you know, voting and participating, that's, that's how you have a voice in the process. And um, there are so many opportunities out there, so many ways to get involved. And I just encourage people to get involved. That's great. Yeah. Well, yeah. So. thanks, Judy. This has been the Ben Don't Break podcast. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening.